Welcome to the recording of Jamie Davies' talk for Easter 2022, The Road to Emmaus. This is a very brief note to apologise for an audio issue we experienced during the recording of Jamie's talk, and it happens for a couple of minutes at starting at the eight minute mark. We've tried to enhance the audio to make it as clear as possible, but it is very muted, so many apologies for that, but hope you benefit from what you can hear of Jamie's talk. Many thanks. Now that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up to them and walked along with them, but they kept, were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, he, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish are you and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in, the, in all the scriptures con concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they, they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Thank you, Anna. W wonderfully read. A lot better than I could do with the size of text on this Bible. <laughs> so thank you for bailing me out. Christ is risen. risen Hallelujah. One second while I fiddle with my papers here. <laughs> It's wonderful to, um, to be closing off our, ser our Easter series, although pre preaching the week after Easter Sunday is kind of like the, it's like the hangover Sunday. So I'll do my best to kind of um, to celebrate what is still the Easter period. Um, and in fact, in the, in, in the church calendar, the Easter period of celebration goes on. So you can still have your chocolate eggs, you can still celebrate roast dinners and celebration and champagne and all that can carry on throughout the season of Easter. So we are still there celebrating um, the Lord's resurrection. We're closing off the series with um, one of Luke, Luke's gospel's uh, final stories. He finishes, his, he finishes his gospel with these three wonderful stories of Jesus appearing to, uh, to his disciples in various places. Um, the risen Lord um, appearing to uh, various people. 
And this is the middle of the three, as he, he comes incognito to these two travelers on the road. It's, it's a, of course, an incredibly famous story and a beautiful story. I, I absolutely love it because um, we know what's going on and they don't. If you like stories where you're in on the secret and you're watching other people as they haven't figured it out yet, um, this is one of those. So we know who it is who is walking beside these two travellers, and they don't. And that's just deliciously exciting and wonderful as you're kind of waiting for them to realise. Um, and they're, they're full of despair, and you're waiting for them to realise the good news. It's a really, really exciting moment. So it's a lovely, lovely, beautiful story with lots of drama and, and anticipation in it. Um, who were, who were this, these two travellers? We know one of their names, and the other one isn't named. It's quite possible that they were a couple. Um, we aren't told for certain. Uh, this could be Cleopas and his wife as they walk along, as they, they journey together. That's certainly uh, possible. Um, we're not told. Um, there is uh, a, a lady called Mary named in John's Gospel, who was the wife of someone called Clopas. Now, it's People debate whether that's the same name or not, but it's possible that this is in fact Cleopas and Mary, and that if so, she was one of the women that was at the cross, and quite possibly was at the tomb, and so would have had first-hand knowledge of the, the dreadful events of Good Friday, and maybe was trying to convince her husband on the journey. I'm sure he knew best, and maybe that's what they were arguing about. We can't be sure. In any case, the account that Cleopas, when he starts speaking, gives to the traveller, gives to the stranger on the road, is a desperately sad one. As he recounts, he, if, for starters, he can't believe that anybody would have not noticed what had just happened. So public and so dramatic were the events of the Passion Week in Jerusalem that he is astounded that this person must have been living in a box or a cave and hadn't seen what had been happening. And so he gives him the kind of the highlights and runs him through the story. Absolutely astonished that the, the events of Jesus' death would have escaped this person's attention. And so he, he gives the account of the things that had happened in Jerusalem and runs him through. It's an incredibly sad story. Um, this Jesus, who uh, Cleopas says was a prophet, was a mighty in word and deed, had been handed over by their very own rulers to be crucified. And he utters this phrase, and it's one that's re it's always stuck in my head whenever I've read this story. This phrase, we had hoped. I don't know if there's a sadder phrase in the whole of the Bible than that loss of hope. We had hoped. Something worse than being sad, which is having once had hope and then lost it. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. He was the one to rescue God's people. We had hoped. And if you've ever experienced that you'd had hope and those hopes had been crushed, those hopes had come to nothing, then perhaps you recognize what it must have felt like to trudge, what a long journey that must have been, to trudge to Emmaus with Cleopas and his companion. We had hoped. It's desperately sad. Jesus hadn't done for them what he'd hoped. Jesus hadn't come through. He hadn't delivered. It's wonderful to share stories of God's faithfulness and goodness in, in giving us uh, a song on the radio, a garden patch, uh, a healing, a baby. God is good and God gives good things to us. But there are times in our lives when he doesn't. At least that's what we think. That's what it feels like. We had hoped that God would have done this for us. 
And if healing, uh, hearing those stories of great testimony has, has lifted your spirits, great. But if it's crushed them and made you feel like all these people are getting answers to prayer and I'm not, then Cleopas is your traveling companion today. We had hoped. And Jesus didn't deliver. We had hoped that he would save us from our enemies, and he didn't. He was crushed by them. We had hoped. Or at least that's what they thought. Because, of course, there's a crucial moment missing from Cleopas' story. His story stops at the cross, where it seems that hope is crushed. But there's a crucial chapter missing from Cleopas' account. Perhaps his wife would have filled in the rest of the story had he given her a chance. <laughs> that Christ was risen. But the story's not done. So as they tell this story of the events leading up to Good Friday in Jerusalem, to the stranger on the road, they are kept from recognizing his identity. We're told that, that in, in, in the passage in, in verse 16 that they, they are kept from recognizing this with Jesus. We know it's Jesus and they don't. That's what makes the story so wonderful. The hope is right in front of them, walking beside them on the road. It's right there and they can't see it. I don't know if that feels familiar to any of us. It certainly feels familiar to me. To be walking on a road without hope and the hope is right there and you can't see it. It's usually in retrospect when we look back and we say, he was there all along. He was walking beside me all along and I did not see him. It's one of those strange things about the Christian life that often it makes sense looking backwards. My life doesn't make any sense at all looking forwards. I just seem to have stumbled from thing to thing. And I look back and I see that God was there walking with me all along. And that's what gives me hope going forward. The hope that they wanted, the one who was to redeem Israel, walks beside them on the road to Emmaus, and they do not see him. They're kept from seeing him. What a strange thing it is. Why didn't Jesus just show himself to them? That would have dealt with their problems, wouldn't it? <coughs> These poor, desperate people who are just one key, key chapter short of the story that would give them hope. Why didn't Jesus just show himself to them? Just say, look, it's me. I'm, I'm right here. And I've asked that prayer. Why don't you just show yourself to me, Jesus? Then I would have hope. So in a sense, this is a really interesting and ironic story. It's a, it's a, it's a resurrection appearance story full of little notes about people not seeing Jesus. And maybe that's what the Christian life is, is like. It's a life lived um, after the empty tomb, after Easter Sunday. We're an Easter people living a life after the empty tomb and yet not seeing Jesus. What does it mean to live a life, to walk on our road, sometimes when hope is crushed, to walk on our road to Emmaus, not seeing Jesus? Well, I think this passage tells us quite a lot about what the life of the church, the life of the Christian, the life of a person of faith is. To walk on our roads, holding our despairs, and yet sometimes not seeing Jesus. How do you do that? <laughs> How do we sustain that journey? How do we keep walking when we can't see him? Even if people tell us he's right there. I'm like, but I don't see him. How do I keep walking when I can't see him with me? The trudge to Emmaus must have, wherever it was, we don't really know where Emmaus was. Wherever it was, the trudge to Emmaus must have been the longest journey of their lives, at least on the way out, as we'll see. 
Jesus does make himself known to them, but not in the ways that they might expect. And it's really interesting to just, for a few minutes, focus on how Jesus makes himself known. How does he show himself to them? How does he answer the prayer that we all have at moments of despair? Lord, show yourself to me. At moments of decision or at moments of, of difficulty, of sickness, Lord, show yourself to me. Now, it might be George Ezra on the radio, but that's not what happens here. There's no radios on this journey. But yet, there's still two key ways in which Jesus shows himself to these travelers. There's the Bible and the table. If you take nothing else away, take those two things away from today. Bible and table. The Lord shows himself to these two travelers through a Bible study on the road, which must have been amazing, and then a meal. So very briefly, let's just look at each of those moments. In verse 25, we have this wonderful moment where Jesus leads them in a Bible study. This is the ultimate D group, the ultimate discipleship group. As they read the scriptures together, um, I would have loved to have been a member of this group. Um, me, me and Mike tried our best and didn't do very well throughout Easter. Uh, this one would have been good. I wouldn't have missed a second of this Bible study as this stranger on the road opens the scriptures to them. They thought, or at least uh, Cleopas thought, he was the one teaching Jesus. Poor, ignorant stranger who didn't know what had just happened in Jerusalem. He thought he was the teacher and Jesus was the student. And very quickly, Jesus, as he often does, reverses that. Whenever you think you're the teacher, you very quickly become the student at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. He is the great teacher. And so he turns it around on Cleopas and he becomes the teacher. Oh, foolish, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe. I mean, it's not a good start for a sermon. Um, that all, that all that the prophets have spoken, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus teaches them from the scriptures concerning himself, that the Messiah is to be found there, and not just to find Jesus there, but to find how what had happened in Jerusalem was always what had to happen. That the scriptures had said this is what would happen, and they hadn't seen it. Just like they couldn't see Jesus walking beside them, they couldn't see Jesus right there in the pages of their own Bible. They'd read it their whole lives and could not see him. Interesting. Now notice, he doesn't open the pages of the New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. When he opens the scriptures, he opens Moses and the prophets. He opens the Old Testament to find Jesus, to find the Messiah. This is not a fresh revelation. The pages of the New Testament beginning and wiping away the Old Testament. Moses and the prophets speak of Jesus. They are not to be discarded or treated as the stories of some other God. We don't have the God of wrath of the Old Testament, but Jesus is the loving God that's revealed in the New Testament. No, no, no. That's an ancient mistake. Jesus opens the pages of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and says, here am I. You can see me here. He opens the pages of the prophets and says, these guys spoke to you about me. Can you see? Can you see now I was there all along walking beside you? Not just you on this road, but you and all your people throughout that your story. I have been there walking with you, though you didn't see me. I have been your hope throughout. I have been walking with you. Can you not see? And he gives them the greatest Bible, Bible study ever as he explains from the pages of the Old Testament how he was always going to come. This was always going to be the way it would be. And he shows them 
himself. As he reads backwards, starting from the resurrection, beginning at the empty tomb, beginning with that new life of God created on that day, he reads backwards through the pages of the Old Testament and sees and shows them, I was there. Just as they couldn't recognize the man, Jesus, walking beside them on the road, so they couldn't recognize him there in the pages. You can read the Bible your whole life and not see Jesus. You can read the New Testament. Believe me, I've seen people who do it for a living. You can read the pages of the New Testament your whole life and really not see Jesus. It's possible. You can study. You can read all the books. You can do all the stuff and not see Jesus. It is possible. Because only Jesus reveals Jesus. You don't find Jesus by hard work. Now, don't get me wrong, hard work matters, studying matters, okay, I have to say that, I'm kind of employed as a Bible teacher, you know, I've run out of, I wouldn't get a salary if I wasn't right, um, you have to study, you have to work hard, they debated and engaged and listened and they knew their scriptures really well, better than any of us, but that alone won't cut it. We, have to, we can't neglect the study of the Bible together. Getting together and sustaining our walk on our Emmaus roads at times of joy and at times when our hopes are crushed. We get together and we read the scriptures together, but that alone won't do it. We need to invite Jesus, the teacher, to teach us from the scriptures, to come by his spirit and to open them to us and to show us himself in them. As he comes by his spirit to show us from the scriptures that he is there, that's how you walk on the road without seeing Jesus. He's given us a way to see him. And he promises that he'll be there as we come to him and ask to be taught. Jesus himself reveals Jesus to us. God reveals God. We don't summon God's presence. He turns the tables on us and says, let me teach you. Later on, um, in the, second, the last of the resurrection stories, uh, in verse 45, Luke has, recounts how Jesus then to the disciples in the upper room back in Jerusalem opens their minds so that they can understand the scriptures afresh. And that's our prayer for ourselves. Whenever we come to, to the text, no matter how many times you've done it, open my eyes. Help me to see wonderful things in your word. Open my eyes that I might see you, Jesus, here. So that's Bible. What about table? So they get to Emmaus, wherever Emmaus is, they get there, and they're tired, and they're hungry, and they stop for a meal. And Jesus makes it look like he's moving on, and they invite him in. So they become the hosts, and they invite their guests to join them. And just like he did in the Bible study, Jesus quickly flips the script on them, and he, the guest, becomes the host. He hosts them at his table. And Luke tells the story of this meal in ways that it's really hard to ignore that echo the Last Supper. We're told that when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Luke uses the exact same language that he used a couple of chapters earlier for the Last Supper. That he, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. This is no ordinary meal all of a sudden. Just as Jesus the teacher turned a, a roadside journey conversation into no ordinary Bible study, so too this is no ordinary traveling meal. It becomes a means of God's presence. As he breaks that bread, their eyes are opened and they see who it is who is presiding at the table. They see who it is who is offering them the meal. 
In some respects, it was like any other meal. But when Jesus is the host at the table, it becomes something different. It becomes something revelatory, something that shows God to us. Jesus shows himself to them as he breaks the bread. We can set up our tables, we can play our music, we can fill the room with incense or with the sound of, of praise. We can do all of these things. We can use our techniques. We can generate, I'm looking at our worship leaders because they know this. You can generate responses. I'm a drummer and I know how to get people's hands in the air. I can do that if I want to. He's got to build and as soon as the key change comes in, you hit the cymbals and everyone's hands. I know how to use that technique. But you know what? That's nonsense. That's nothing unless Jesus himself breaks the bread, unless Jesus himself is present in the worship and present when we gather, it's just another thing. It may as well be a football stadium. It's no different. Now, don't get me wrong. Our emotions matter. Our experiences matter. Being at the table matters. That, that taste of the bread, that, the, the, the taste of the wine, the experience matters, but it's not the whole thing unless Jesus presides at the table and says, this is my body. Unless he hands out the bread, then it's just another thing we do. But it can be a place where Jesus makes himself known to us, where we who walk on the road, who have lost our hope, can meet him and say, yeah, he's beside me. And I didn't see it. Here he is. And he, as he gives them the bread, their eyes are open. They see who he is and they get to live forever with him beside them in this moment of revelation. No, that's not how it works. The second they see him, he disappears from, from their view. The irony continues. Why is that? Well, Jesus won't be owned. He won't be possessed. We can't say we've got this revelation now. It's ours now. Because we have to keep coming back. Because Jesus is always the one who reveals Jesus. We don't get to own him and carry him around like in our pocket. I've got my revealed Jesus now. We come to him daily and we say, I still don't see you. <laughs> You've gone again. And that, that's the life of faith that we come daily and we come regularly to table, we come regularly to the word and we say, I still don't see you. I know you, you were there yesterday. I'm sure you were there yesterday, but I don't see you today. Open my eyes. Help me see again. Every day we constantly come to him who reveals himself to us at Bible and at table. They couldn't recognize him when he was beside them. They couldn't recognize him until he broke that bread and they saw who he was as he revealed himself to them. Why does this matter for our lives of faith today? Well, we continue to invite Jesus to be with us. He continues to flip the script on us, and where we, where we think we're going to teach him a thing or two, he teaches us as we come to the Word. You're never a Bible expert. <laughs> That's not how it works. We continue to come to the table, um, not because we're hungry, but because we want to meet him there. And yesterday's bread ain't good enough. It never was. You don't get to store it up. You come daily. Give us today our daily bread. Because Jesus continues to show himself to us. At table and in the Bible, in word and sacrament, is what we've always said. This is what the church is. There's a whole bunch of other things we do. We share testimonies. We pray for one another. We worship. These are all great things. We're worshiping in word and deed as well, as we're going to do next week. These are all wonderful things. But without word and sacrament, without Bible and table, this is not going to be a place where we see Jesus. We need to be a people who come to see Jesus in the word, to meet Jesus at the table. And that sustains the walk to Emmaus, even when hope is crushed. 
And so we're not second-hand Christians. We're not just those who rely on the testimonies of others, as good as those are. We don't just rely on the stories from those who met Jesus before us. We meet him. But this is, Easter is our day. We live our Emmaus Road as we meet him still, just as they did. And the risen Jesus still meets us. We're not second-hand Christians as we meet him first-hand at Bible and the table. One last point, and then I'm done. Verse 32, in the last few verses, you see the disciples, these two, reflecting on their experience. They reflect on their Bible study, and they say, as they look back on it, notice they didn't see this at the time. (laughs) They reflect back on it. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They realized it was no ordinary Bible study, that the Holy Spirit was at work in their hearts, setting them aflame, though they didn't notice it at the time. As they look back, they realize this was no ordinary Bible study. And in the last verse of this passage as well, when they look back and they reflect on their meal, they realize he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they look back, they see he was there. This is often the way in the Christian life, where we notice Jesus' presence when we look back on it. Which is strange, because we'd rather have it in the moment. It would feel a lot better. And yet, God calls us to a life where we constantly remember that he was present. He was revealed to them in the power of the Spirit through Bible and table. And they are transformed and sent out. And this is the last point I want to leave us with. Look at the change the resurrection has made to these people. The people who said, we had hoped as they trudged away from Jerusalem. We had hoped this was the one who would redeem Israel. Rush back to Jerusalem to proclaim in hope. And in confidence, full of joy, that must have been a quicker journey. They couldn't wait to get back to Jerusalem. Sprinting back immediately to proclaim to the disciples that the Lord has risen indeed. The resurrection has transformed them from people who had hoped to people whose hope is now grounded in in the Lord who came to them. This is the ground of their hope. Jesus is risen from the dead. I am not an optimist about the world. I don't really think we're getting any better. I'm not a pessimist. Okay, I'm a bit sometimes. I shouldn't be a pessimist either. But Jesus is risen from the dead. This is not something that happens normally. God's work of new creation began at the empty tomb and is at work in me. And that's what gives me hope. I'm not getting better. I don't feel like I'm a better Christian now than I was 20 years ago. I really don't. It might be a worse question. I don't know. I can't even tell you how I'm getting on. But I have hope because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and it is his resurrection life that is at work in me. And it's he is the one who is at work in me. And so I have hope, which is better than optimism, I tell you. It's better than good feelings. It's better than thoughts and prayers. Hope is rooted in the resurrection. He is the one who has defeated our enemies. He has conquered the grave the greatest enemy. He is the one who has redeemed Israel. He has bought back his people. He has rescued his people in a greater way than those guys on the road could have imagined. And this is the message that they rush to proclaim, and so do we, as we rush from this place to proclaim the good news. Christ is risen. That was your cue. Christ is risen. risen Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.